Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Lent has begun, and on this episode, Bishop reflects upon the temptations of Jesus in the desert. Then he moves on to answering listener-submitted questions on keeping the Sabbath holy, the COVID vaccine, and more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop on Ash Wednesday. Happy beginning of Lent, Bishop. Thank you. Same to you, Kyle. How's your uh, penance going so far? Hey, I am uh, one for one so far. Well, a half, <laughs> okay. for, half for half, I guess. <laughs> Remember, today's a day of fast and abstinence, right? That is correct. Have you yeah. ever done anything really creative for Lent? Well, probably when I was in Rome, I was very creative in the sense that every one of the 40 days, I participated in the station churches, you know, the ancient churches of Rome, a different one is dedicated for each day of Lent. This goes back centuries. Hmm. So we would have English mass at those different station churches at 7 a.m., That would be a a Lenten resolution to go to all of those masses and go by foot. So I would have to get up in the morning, depending on how far, I mean, each church I'd have to look at each each day or the day before to see how far away (laughs) it was. And there were some that, you know, like St. Paul outside the walls. I mean, that took like, I don't remember, two hours to walk to. So I had to get up really early. And so that was kind of a creative, but that was, I, I love doing it, you know? Yeah. And then after mass, I'd have to get to the university for class and I wouldn't have time to walk. So, you know, I'd have to take a bus or whatever from uh-huh. some of the places, but I would always get up early to, to walk to them. And, and that was really cool. And it was a sacrifice, you know? Yeah, sure. um, now it was always nice when the churches were like on the way to the university, that wasn't too, <laughs> too difficult, but it was really neat because... I got to see all these different ancient churches and pray at them. And that's a, a wonderful tradition in Rome. Yeah. Now I want to do that sometime. Maybe I can yeah. maybe I can do it virtually or something. Yeah. You could do that. Check out Rome Lenten Station Churches. Okay. Maybe they have something on, on uh, the internet. I don't know. Well, great. Or if you want to go to Rome for some Lent, just go over for 40 days and take the family with you. Maybe in retirement, that'll be my Lenten <laughs> gift and penance for yeah. myself. Uh, do you have a prayer to open us up with today? You know, I was thinking since it's Ash Wednesday to just use the prayer from Mass today. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, today is one of my niece's birthdays, February 17th. Okay. So I emailed her birthday greetings this morning. I said, I'm so sorry your birthdays fell on Ash Wednesday. I hope you <laughs> celebrated it yesterday, I wrote to her. That's right. <laughs> and, and she wrote back and said, yes, she and her boyfriend and her friends celebrated yesterday. So I was glad 
Well, they're good. observing the fast. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, Bishop, on Facebook, I had somebody ask, where is Lent in the Bible? In which case I responded with a couple different references, one on fasting, one on prayer, one on giving alms, and then one on Jesus spending 40 days in the desert. And it seems to me like it's very biblical. In fact, I could probably quote hundreds or thousands of verses in the Bible that talk about all of the aspects of Lent. But one of those is the upcoming Sunday Mass reading. So this this coming Sunday, the gospel reading is probably the, the short version of Jesus's time in the desert. Thought maybe you could share a little bit about that and reflect on it with us today. Oh, I'd be happy to. We read in the Bible three accounts of the temptations of Jesus in the desert, the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. St. John's Gospel doesn't mention the 40 days hmm. of temptation in the desert. Okay. But Mark's Gospel, which is the one that we will hear this Sunday, is very short, like you said. It doesn't even give us what the three temptations were. But when you read Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, they're much longer, and they explain each of the three temptations. So I'll just read Mark's account, the brief one that we're going to hear this coming uh, Sunday, and I'll try to just give a few reflections on what Mark tells us about the temptations of Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness. So it's Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So if you noticed, I mean, half that gospel passage isn't even about the temptations. It's, hmm. The temptations are just the first three sentences that were there mentioned of Jesus remaining in the desert for 40 days. But the first sentence is really interesting to think about. The spirit drove Jesus out into the desert. You know, how do we understand the Spirit driving Jesus into the desert. Well, if you think about it, our Lord had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And of course, when Jesus was baptized, he was associating himself and identifying himself with sinners, with, with us, with mm -hmm. sinful humanity, because he didn't need to be baptized. Because um, you know, John's was a baptism of repentance, and Jesus didn't need to repent. Sure. But remember what happened at the baptism. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then that same Spirit immediately drove him into the desert. When you think about, wow, what a way to begin his public ministry. You know? <laughs> but remember, the mission of Jesus was salvation, our salvation, our redemption. You know, the Son of God came down from heaven for us men and for our salvation, we say in the creed. And he became like us in all things but sin. So in light of this, we can better understand why the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert right after he was baptized by John. 
Jesus went there to be tempted, to be put to the test by Satan. You know, the Son of God assumed our human nature, and he identified himself with us sinners and identified with that experience that we have of being tempted. And so he was tempted by Satan. You know, that's what the Gospel of Mark says. And the word Satan, of course, we know it's the devil, but literally the word Satan means the adversary, Hmm. you know, the adversary. So Jesus, his whole mission was to overcome sin and defeat, conquer this adversary, to conquer Satan in order to liberate us from evil. So the Spirit drove Jesus out in the desert. And often in the scriptures, the desert is depicted as the realm of evil powers. You know, it's symbolized by the predatory beasts that lurk there. Notice Mark tells us he was among wild beasts. Hmm. So he was tested by Satan. And what was the temptation? It was to not to carry out his mission. I mean, it basically was a temptation to not accomplish the mission that God the Father had given him. And we can look back at the book of Genesis. You know, there we have the devil tempting Adam and Eve in the garden, and and they succumbed to it. They disobeyed God's will. Think about the Israelites, their 40 years in the desert. You know, they succumbed to temptation. They disobeyed God's commandments. Remember, they worshiped the golden calf. Right. So time and time again throughout human history, human beings fall, succumb to the temptations of the evil one, Satan, the adversary. So our Lord deliberately entered into Satan's territory. The desert near the Dead Sea, the wilderness among wild beasts, is driven there by the Spirit to do battle with Satan. He was beginning his mission, his campaign against the powers of evil. And of course, his campaign I think we just heard that word campaign in the uh, prayer that we did for today from the, the opening prayer of Mass, the collect for Ash Wednesday, spoke about, uh, we begin with holy fasting, this campaign of Christian service. We can think of, of Lent that way. But it was a campaign of goodness and love. And that campaign reached its climax on Mount Calvary. Now, in the desert, Jesus rebuffed the temptations of the devil. He stood fast in his determination to do the Father's will. And it also says, I think this is an interesting little fact, Mark tells us that the angels ministered to him. I thought back to the Exodus, how the angels accompanied the Israelites in the desert, and how the angel provided food for the prophet Elijah. I mean, there's different examples in Scripture of, of the angels. And notice what was the power with which Jesus overcame the temptations of the devil. He didn't use his divine power. It was in his human nature that he did battle with Satan. Even though it's such a short gospel, a short account in Mark's gospel, I think there's a lot there. And I think it helps us especially on this first day of Lent, to think about the spiritual battle that's an important part of our life as Christians. You know, 
we're engaged in a battle against the powers of evil. And the battleground is first of all, our own souls, where we're to struggle against our tendencies to sin. Mm -hmm. You know, St. Paul speaks of the flesh or, you know, we speak of, of concupiscence, that inclination to sin. There's this necessity of fighting, a spiritual combat, which means we reject Satan and all his works and all his empty promises, as we say in our baptismal promises. But how do we repel this adversary, this enemy? The power of Christ. That's what's so important. We, it's his grace, his sanctifying grace, the actual graces that uh, he gives us. And Lent is a season of grace. It's a holy season. And it's 40 days, like our Lord's 40 days of spiritual combat mm -hmm. in the desert. And I think you could, we could say that three of the weapons for our combat are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, the traditional three Lenten practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So with these weapons with the, and the grace that we receive from Christ, we can repel the enemy. We can resist temptation. We can grow in virtue. We can become more holy. And you can think about the angels. I was thinking about that in prayer this morning when I was meditating on this gospel, because I don't really think about this too much, but, but the angels ministered to Jesus in the desert. And I thought, well, maybe during Lent, I need to be more conscious of asking for the help of the angels right. yeah, in my sure. battle. And uh, so anyhow, I hope that reflection's helpful. It really is a season of grace. And and I hope and pray that all of us will take advantage of this season, which the church gives us these 40 days, and to really be committed to our Lenten resolutions, to, to look upon and to do penance, to do things that will help us to defeat Satan and his temptations in our lives and to draw closer to God. That's what it's all about. It's a journey of conversion to make more room for God in our lives. I think prayer is, is you know, so important. And I know a lot of people go, will go to daily mass during Lent, which is a beautiful practice, or, mm -hmm. or pray the rosary every day, or do the way of the cross more frequently, meditate on the scriptures, all these different ways to, to grow closer to the Lord. And of course, our Lord fasted in the desert. You know, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the value of fasting, the sacrifices that we can make and how that can bear fruit in our lives mm -hmm. to lead to greater detachment from the things of this world, whether it be food or watching TV or being on the internet, you know, to cut back on on those things so that we have make more room for God and prayer in our lives. Mm -hmm. And speaking of fasting, are we to believe that Jesus literally went 40 days without food or water? Well, he wouldn't have gone without water because and none of the gospel says he went without water. Um, okay. He would have died. I mean, the, <laughs> uh, unless there was a miracle, but he, um, you know, he assumed our human nature, so 
he would have suffered hunger and thirst, but he would have needed to be sustained. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no indication that there was any miraculous provision of food and drink for Jesus in the desert. As I said, the, the Gospels don't say anything about him not drinking. Okay. Although when you read, if, if you would take Luke's account, I think, it's, I think it's just Luke who says, I mean, Matthew says he fasted, but Luke says that he didn't eat anything. Now, a person could go 40 days without eating anything, but they would really be in bad shape. Some could die if they didn't eat for 40 days. Others would be severely harmed by malnourishment. We don't have to take that literally in the sense of the way Luke said that he didn't eat anything at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. Matthew says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. But I, I don't, I mean, the church hasn't made any determination that that needs to be taken literally. I guess it could, I mean, it's possible, I okay. guess. He was obviously hungry, but I mean, that's one of the temptations where the devil uh, said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. So obviously, and he was famished. So it was a severe fast, I think. Somebody pointed out one time that Jesus is tempted with, or Satan is offering him food, money, and power, which are, you know, maybe not the only things that we struggle with today, but but three major ones that humans maybe of all time have been tempted by and, and still are. That's very true. It's a temptation to put other things ahead of God in our life. It really, when you think about it, it's it goes back to the, the temptation to pride, the sin of Adam and Eve. And um, I think today, you know, there is that temptation to put God aside. I think there's also, when I think about what Jesus experienced, he was really tempted by the devil to reject the way of the cross, hmm. you know? And, and we can be tempted to reject the way of the cross. And that's why it's so beautiful during Lent to pray the stations of the cross and then to apply them to our own life. Another thing I was thinking about as you were describing the, the spirit leading him into the desert and being faced with these temptations is whenever we're faced with temptations, I, I suppose the two options are to either confront it or to avoid the temptation altogether. And maybe depending on you know what the the temptation is and maybe where we are with defeating it or or you know being tempted there might be an appropriate i think about say like a if somebody is struggling with alcoholism you know maybe not going to a bar or a a party that's going to have alcohol there might be a good choice to avoid the temptation but then maybe there's other times where you know actually confronting the temptation and denying it is a good thing as well. So I, I, do you have any idea or any suggestions on how to discern like when we should avoid temptation versus confronting it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And when I served as a spiritual director, I had to kind of try to discern. We would speak of avoiding the occasions of sin. So that's the mm -hmm. same thing as avoiding. To, okay. So especially someone who is kind of weak in the struggle, I would say, you know, they really need to to stay away from those places or those people mm -hmm. where in their weakness they're going to easily fall. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Other times, as one becomes stronger in the spiritual life, one is probably better equipped to face it head on, that they're you know, able to confront the temptation in a more direct way. So I think it's a matter of prayerful discernment, like use of computer, for example. I, maybe this is mm-hmm. getting, you know, be a little more practical. Let's say someone struggles with internet pornography mm-hmm. and they really fall very easily. They may have to just avoid it altogether, mm-hmm. avoid computer use altogether. They fall too easily. But as a person gets stronger, they can, you know, by the power of God's grace and their own cooperation with that grace, they're able to use the computer and they're able to resist that temptation. So they can use a computer, they can face it head on. And when a temptation comes to access an inappropriate or immoral site, they can really resist it. Um, or, you know, they can also put guards on their computer, mm-hmm. you know, filtering so they don't get that kind of stuff. So that's that's a concrete example, but I think you're right. I think, um, you know, when we pray in the act of contrition about avoiding the near occasions of sin, I think that's, that's really important. And I think with young people sometimes, um, older people too, but with young people, you know, there might be certain parties that mm-hmm. in order to, with peer pressure and that, they're going to easily fall into doing things they know are wrong, whether it's um, drinking or using drugs or whatever. Just don't go to that kind of party. You know, that's what I would say. Avoid the occasion of sin. And one other thing, maybe just kind of going back to uh, not this Sunday's reading, but the other versions of it, when Jesus responds to these different temptations. There's kind of three different lines. One is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second one is, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the third is, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It almost sounds like um, kind of versions of commandments, of the Ten Commandments Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything specific about these three things, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one, the first temptation, which is, you know, to command the stones to become loaves of bread. And our Lord quotes the book of Deuteronomy. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that first temptation really is to basically to appease his hunger. You know, the, the thing is, by Jesus saying man doesn't live on bread alone, he's talking about, you know, a more important thing, and that is you know, our hunger for God, you mm-hmm. know, this, there's, there's something more important than uh, appeasing, you know, physical hunger. That kind of points to the fact that, that sometimes, you know, food or, or other material things, we can um, make more important than God, you know, the whole materialism, consumerism, et cetera. Right. I, I think the, the second temptation is really how the devil proposes the way of power to Jesus. He takes him up and offers him dominion over the whole world. But that's not that's not God's way. You know, Jesus is very clear that it's not worldly power that saves the world. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of humility. Hmm. It's the power of love. And then the third, you know, which is kind of weird, but he 
the devil suggested Jesus that he throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple of Jerusalem and have himself saved by God through his angels. Right. Um, so to do something sensational, to put God himself to the test. But the answer is God is not an object on which to impose conditions that we make up. You know, he is the Lord. So it's really tempting God, you know, and I think that is something else. You know, the essence of all of these three temptations really is to exploit God, to put ourselves first, our own success, our own glory, to put something else or, or put oneself in God's place. And that's a good question to ask during Lent. What place does God have in my life? Is he really the Lord of my life? Or am I the Lord of my life? Hmm. Do we just put God in a corner? And that's why this invitation from Jesus to repent, we hear this often during Lent, to repent. In other words, let God be God. Let God transform us. We're creatures. We depend on God. We depend on his love. And only by losing our life in God can we gain our can we gain it. Uh, so I think that's getting to the real heart of Lent and really of our life. We need to make room for God, see reality with his eyes, that's the gift of wisdom, and not be closed into our own egotism, but to be, you know, to put God first, the love of God, the love of others, follow the way of the cross, not put our own prestige, our own success, our own status above God. Well, and I suppose also to remember that whenever we are faced with temptation, God is with us. The angels are with us. It's a good reminder. I, I never even really thought about that until you mentioned it, that we can get through those temptations with God and, and not to, to feel like we have no choice. Right. Exactly. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And Bishop will answer some of your questions about creeds in other denominations, controversy over the coronavirus vaccine, more questions about Lent and ways to keep the Sabbath holy. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We are in the beginning of Lent, and we've been talking about Lent, and we have a couple listener-submitted questions about Lent. Someone asked, is Lent a Catholic tradition, or do other denominations have the same season? Not all Christian denominations observe Lent, but I'd say most do. Like, hmm. uh, of course, we were, you know, the Catholic and Orthodox churches have had Lent since, you know, ancient times. But if you look at the Anglicans, the Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, they all observe Lent. A lot of evangelical, well, I'd say some evangelical churches do, some don't. Okay. There are, uh, I think some in the Anabaptist tradition may not observe Lent. You have to look at individual churches, but most of the mainline 
uh, all the mainline churches do. All right. Another listener asked, why is Lent called Lent? You know, it's a weird word. It's it's from an old English word, Lenten, which really refers to the spring season. So in English, you know, that word Lent is really goes back to the, the, the spring, the spring season, which really doesn't capture what we're celebrating. I like the Latin. I think we should start calling it what it's called in Latin. Okay. Do you know what that is? No, I have no idea. Quadragesima. Quadragesima, which means 40th. Oh. Uh, so, quadragesima. So, like, in La- Italian, it's quaresima. In, in Spanish, it's quaresma. So, the okay. uh, those languages based on Latin kind of get that idea. But in English, it comes from the old English word, lengthen, which means spring. So, I guess, what would be the... English equivalent of the quart, would we just call it 40? Yeah, uh, like if I think in quaresma, it would be 40th in Spanish. Quaresima would be 40th in Italian. I don't know the French. Do you know 40th in French? (laughs) No. Uh, So we we would just call Uh, it 40th then. Uh, It's almost time. What are you giving up for 40th? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty used to Lent at this point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't imagine converting well, just to just use the Latin quadrage, yeah. quadragesima. Yeah, I, I think people yeah. would appreciate will you that. Teach, will you teach Sebastian that, that we're celebrating <laughs> quadragesima? I'll work on it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Our next listener submitted question. I have attended family members' weddings in Lutheran and Pentecostal churches and found the Nicene Creed in prayer slash songbooks. The phrase, one holy Catholic and apostolic church is changed to read one holy Christian church. I understood that the word Catholic in our creed does not refer to the Catholic denomination, but rather the universal church. Could you comment on why the prayer is changed and define the words one holy Catholic and apostolic? Does the O in one need to be capitalized? Well, that's a lot of questions there, Kyle. (laughs) Well, let me just start with that last one. No, the one, the word one does not need to be capitalized. I don't think it is capitalized in in the uh, creed. Now, remember, we have the Apostles' Creed, which which basically we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Only uh, two of the marks of the church, one in Catholic, are mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Okay. But when we pray the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. So neither creed says Christian Church. Both creeds say Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think those who change to say, I believe in one holy Christian church, that's not what the Nicene Creed says. It's not what the Apostles' Creed says. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just make that clear. Okay. And also, when you take out Catholic, you do miss the meaning of one of the important four marks of the church. So so every so that everyone knows when we when we speak of the church as one holy catholic and apostolic those are what we call the four marks of the church. Okay. So I mean we could spend a lot of time actually a whole episode on sure. the four marks of the church but maybe I'll try to explain each one as briefly as I can. I hope I don't go too long but anyhow when we say the church is one it's because we have uh, the church has one source, and that's God, and there is one God. And 
our founder, who is Jesus, you know, founded one church, reestablished the unity of all people in one body, his body. So we have one faith, the church has one sacramental life, the church has one apostolic succession, we have one common hope, we have one and the same charity. And so the church is one. And the one church of Christ, according to the Second Vatican Council and the Catechism, subsists in the Catholic Church, the church that's governed by the successor of St. Peter and the bishops in communion with him. This one church, it's in this one church or through this one church that one can obtain the fullness of the means of salvation. Now, there are a lot of non-Catholic Christians that are separated from full communion with the Catholic Church, and you can find many elements of truth and many elements of sanctification in those other churches or communities, but they are not in full communion. They do not have the fullness of the means of salvation that the Lord entrusted to his church. That's why it's important that we work and pray for Christian unity. Mm-hmm. So that's the first mark. The second mark is, is the church is holy. The church is holy because God is the author of the church, and God is all holy. And Christ gave himself for the church to, to sanctify and make the church holy. The Holy Spirit gives life to the church. So holiness is one of the marks of the church. And we find the fullness of the means of salvation in the church. And among our members are the Virgin Mary, all the saints. So holiness is, is really, really important. Now, the, it's true that the church, which is holy, embraces sinners, okay? Mm-hmm. We're a church of saints and sinners. The fact that there are sinners in the church, all of us, some you know, very grave sinners, doesn't mean that the church herself is not holy. We're all called to holiness, and the church has all the means for our growing in holiness, the means of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But we recognize that we are always in need of conversion. We're in, we need purification. So that's the second mark. The third mark is Catholic, which, as you said earlier, Kyle, means universal. The church proclaims the fullness of the faith the totality of the faith, the fullness of the means of salvation, and the church has been sent out to the whole world, the whole human race on a mission. She is Catholic. She has been sent out to all the world. She is universal. And the church is, of course, uh, apostolic because the church was founded by Christ on the foundation of the apostles. And the teachings of the church are the same as the teachings of the apostles. Hmm. We speak of the deposit of faith. And our structure is apostolic because it's the church is governed by the successors of the apostles, the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the pope. So the church is apostolic both in its teaching, because it's the teaching of the apostles, but also apostolic in its structure. 
So we have this apostolic succession that is transmitted through or by means of the sacrament of holy orders. The mission and power of the apostles is, is communicated to their successors, the bishops, through the sacrament of ordination of holy orders. And this is what keeps the church in communion, both in our faith and in our life, with our origins. So even though the church is 2,000 years old, we're connected to our origins, the mm -hmm. apostles, Jesus and the apostles. All right. Like you said, this could be a whole episode, kind of going into more detail on those, but that one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, those, and those are the four marks? Is that what we call them? Yes, the four marks of the church. All right. Our next listener-submitted question is, there seems to be some confusion as to whether or not the coronavirus vaccine is ethical, despite the USCCB statement. Do you think the Vatican will weigh in? The Vatican has weighed in okay. and basically said the same thing that the USCCB Committee on Doctrine that I chair said. So, and I do think we we discussed that at, on a prior episode. We did. Yeah, because of, you know, the whole idea of remote material cooperation. So I don't think, I mean, I guess people can, rather than explain that again, you would have it on podcast, right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. People can find that at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop and scroll down. I'm not sure what episode number that would have been. It was in the past month, I think. So the Vatican has weighed in and agreed with the statement that the bishops have said. Right. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, so if one wanted to access that, they could just go to the Vatican website and see the statement from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith on vaccines. Okay. Someone asked, can you offer specific ways to keep the Sabbath holy? What are some activities to do and not to do? Of course, the primary way to keep Sunday holy is to participate in Mass. You know, we have an obligation as Catholics to attend Mass on Sundays and other holy days of obligation. And this, of course, was has been dispensed from during the pandemic. However, it still is the primary way to keep Sunday holy. But, but it's not the only way. If uh, the church teaches that and, you know, going back to scripture, it's it, the Sabbath is to be a day of rest. So it should be different than the other days of the week. It should be a day of rest. Going back to where Book of Genesis says that God rested on the seventh day mm -hmm. from all his work, which he had done. So human life was a rhythm. It has a rhythm of work and rest. So the institution of the Lord's day, the institution of the Sabbath helps us to have adequate rest and leisure. The Catechism speaks of how the Lord's Day, when we use it for rest and leisure, it cultivates our family life, our cultural, social, and religious lives. So we should really try to sanctify the Lord's Days. What? Okay, so getting more concrete, it's true, some people are required to work on Sundays. But hopefully, even those required to work on Sundays can take some time or care to have some leisure on Sundays. If one doesn't have to work on Sundays, which is wonderful if one doesn't, mm -hmm. really, you know, time with family. I, I think I, another thing is, is, is see, okay, what's, what's gonna bring 
me relaxation? What's going to give us leisure? You know, it might be just going out into nature, mm -hmm. going for a walk, you know, on a Sunday is a really good thing. Enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Mm -hmm. There's other things. I mean, everyone has to discern their own situation, but to be intentional about it, to be intentional. Okay, just think Sunday, Sunday, worship, mm -hmm. okay, rest, leisure, okay, worship, rest, leisure. Yeah. Be intentional. Say, this is one of the commandments. This is our duty to God. Now, you have to weigh, well, what are the responsibilities you know, that I have? As I said, some people can't help it. They have to work. Unfortunately, that's just the way our, our society is. But you know, I remember as a kid, a lot you know, stores weren't open on Sundays, you know, and, and restaurants were often closed on Sundays. It's different today. But I think you still can be intentional. I find, like I said, um, you know, going out for a walk or, or doing something that, you know, with friends or family, that's relaxing. Mm -hmm. I love to read, by the way. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's very relaxing for me to be able to, you know, on a Sunday, just, just go outside sometimes and just read or in the house, getting together with friends. You know, I can be tempted to just, you know, and I really am tempted to get work done uh -huh. on Sunday, just to try to catch up. And, and, you know, it's hard to resist that temptation. So I'm kind of in the boat of our list. I bet a lot of our listeners feel the same way. Sure. Uh, try to be intentional. I don't know, Kyle, do you have any ideas? No, I think that's all great. And I think that is a temptation to, because I feel lazy sometimes to take that rest. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just always motivated to get stuff done. And even like yard work and stuff like that, which I, yeah. I think there's a debate on whether that's, you know, work or leisure. And maybe it depends on how much you enjoy doing it versus dread it. But uh, yeah, sometimes just relaxing and spending time with a family, it doesn't seem productive, but it's it's so necessary, not only for our physical, mental, spiritual, but for, I mean, that's part of our vocation, you know, is to to spend that time with our family and to, to rest as God rested. So, yeah. You remember. know, like gardening or something or painting, like I remember this past summer, a cousin of mine who's a painter was visiting and he was painting, you know, volunteering to do some painting at Knoll Hall, which is a house the diocese has on Lake Wawasee. So we went up there. It was very relaxing on the lake. You know, a lot of people in our diocese love to go to the lake. I This was so new to me, not being from Indiana, but, mm -hmm. you know, to try to get into that, that was kind of hard for me. Like, okay, going to the lake to relax, right? you know, and that's a very Indiana thing. And I was like, wow, this is kind of hard for me. I'm on the go and, you know, just sit by a lake or, well, <laughs> if you have a boat, that's, that's fun, but I don't have a boat. But anyhow, <laughs> getting back to being there in the summer, my, we were doing, my cousin was doing painting and it was Sunday and I did painting of the, of this, um, like a railing go, that goes down the steps to the lake from the house. And really that was not work for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just so relaxing. I hadn't painted in years. I, I can't remember <laughs> the last time that I was painting. Yeah. And it's kind of like doing stuff around the yard. That wouldn't be work for me. Uh, that would be relaxation. Yeah. I guess the question is, is it is it relaxing or not? Sure. Yeah. Well, now I know who to call next time I need some painting done at the house. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you pay? 
<laughs> no, it's not work. It's it's relaxing. That's <laughs> true. That's I can't, true. I, I can't pay that. you because then it'd be work. All right. Well, hey, while we were talking, Miriam looked it up and it was the December 23rd episode, 2020, obviously, but December 23rd episode where we talked about the coronavirus vaccine and he went into the ethics of that. So people can look that up or there'll be a link to it in the show notes for this episode. If you go to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop, look at the show notes for this one. It'll point you to that December 23rd episode. But thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. A reminder, this is first day of Lent, and it's not too late to sign up for our Lenten challenge that we're doing 40 days of podcasts. If you want that in your email or you want to subscribe in your favorite podcast app, just check out spokestreet.com. Again, that's spokestreet.com for a podcast a day for Lent and a way to grow in your faith. And and I know it's going to be a great thing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, check that out, spokestreet.com. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can use the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing, Bishop? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Thanks, Kyle. Have a good Lent. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.